Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting alongside my partner in crime, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field West, the first four Practices of 2019 Packers training camp are in the books. Two practices in helmets and shorts, then one in shoulder pads, and then one on Sunday in full pads. On Monday, the players taking a day off before they return to the practice field on Tuesday. But first time there's a new head coach, a new sheriff in town, so to speak, running the show since 2006. Your general observations of just what these practices are like. Tempo and efficiency is yeah. the number two things, and I hope I didn't steal one of those from you <laughs> in okay. terms of opening up this topic. Tempo from the standpoint of not only how they move in and out of the drills, Mike, but even within the drills. The, the one that really stands out to me, it's a really small walkthrough. It's only about two minutes long, but it's where they have the first, second, and third team offenses basically just run go routes and the offensive line finishes to the end zone with the receivers. Never seen anything quite like that before. Maybe that's commonplace in the NFL. I haven't seen it in Green Bay. The other element is the fact that all of these practices are pretty much wrapped up in the range between an hour and 50 minutes and two hours and 11 minutes. And Matt LaFleur was asked about this after practice concluded on Sunday. And the question was, I mean, is there going to be a two-hour and 30-minute practice in your two-hour and 40? You sometimes will see those yeah. as you get into the padded work. And he really basically said no. Uh, he believes that they can get in the work that they need to get in in that window of time. He, he likes their evening walkthroughs. He believes that helps reinforce some of the concepts. And if you really think about it, Mike, those walkthroughs that we often saw um, with Mike McCarthy's practices, I know a lot of coaches use them, is like a 20-minute period at the beginning. Well, they're just going to do that later on during the day. So I, I just think they've been really efficient with their time and also the tempo in and out of drills has been really impressive. Yeah, I think the thing that stood out to me in terms of some things that are different from the way things were run before it speaks to some of the conditioning that's built in, like you were mentioning, and it goes along with the efficiency as well. There are times, whether it's seven on seven or the full team 11 on 11 work, where they're split up on two halves of the field. So you have two quarterbacks and two sets of offenses that are running stuff on one end, and then the other two quarterbacks and the other guys on the other end, which is really a great opportunity for guys like Tim Boyle and Manny Wilkins, your, your third and fourth quarterbacks at this point, to get so many more snaps than they would in a normal situation. And similar to that, we've seen now since the pads have gone on, the offensive linemen and the pass rushers doing the one-on-one -on -one uh, pass rush, pass blocking drill. Well, every time two guys square off, they go two snaps in a row. You know, whether it's Kenny Clark against Corey Lindsley, you know, two guys who are starters, or whether it's two guys further down the depth chart, they go two snaps in a row. And I think that's interesting from the standpoint of one conditioning, but also we've seen it as we've watched the drill that whoever wins the first rep. Usually that guy then makes the adjustment and then wins the second one. And it's, a, it, it's one of those things, I think, that almost simulates a real game yeah. better in that, you know, you get beat on a snap. you got to come right back the next snap. You're facing that same guy right. again. What are you going to do? And uh, so that's been interesting because it is very different from what we've seen before. The one thing I really liked about that adjustment, too, is in a game, it's very rare that a guy is going to go in for one snap, rush as hard as he can into the <laughs> offensive lineman, and then come off of the field. Right. Uh, there's a lot of physical, physical exertion that goes into that play. And in some ways, I think that's always been something that's been somewhat artificial. Everybody understands the drill is slanted towards the defense, but I think that tilts the favor even more in its favor. But... 
this way of doing it, you look at a guy like Yash Nyman, uh, who was going up against Rashawn Gary in practice on Sunday. Gary put a great move on him, pretty handily beat him on the first rep. They go back, they run it back, and Nyman, <laughs> the six foot seven undrafted rookie, I believe out of Virginia Tech, he ends up making the adjustment, is able to stop Gary. I believe that was the only quote unquote loss that Gary had in that drill. Otherwise, he was really dominant. So yeah. um, I really like it. I think it's really smart. I think it, a lot of times in the past, too, guys would go up against each other again, but it would be eight, nine, ten reps later. Going back-to-back back like that, I, I just think there's a real simulation of an actual game feel, and I, I think that's been a really nice adjustment that they've made. Yeah, it plays into the tempo of everything that uh, you were talking about earlier as well. Okay, everybody always wants to know, when the first few practices are in the books, even before the first practice is over, who's catching your eye? Who's you know who looks good out there? All right. Well, preface this by saying it's been only four practices, only two of them in pads. Right. There are seven more practices before the first preseason game, and then there are four preseason games that are going to obviously decide this roster and select this fifty-three man roster heading into Week One. But all that as a caveat. Let's just bounce back and forth a little bit here, starting with the offensive side. Who's caught your eye? Jake Kumro. And the reason I want to use him as the number one example, Mike, I, I had this epiphany after practice on Sunday, and it was trying to think back to last year in any specific instance where Jake Kumro just did not have a good practice, where he dropped passes, he just didn't run the right routes, there was a miscommunication. And honest to goodness, Mike, I just couldn't come up with anything. Maybe you could, but the guy, the word consistent is thrown around so much, so much that it's such a cliche. Yeah. But with Jake Kumro, it is truly a fact. The guy in and out, day after day, play after play, is exactly where he wants to be. You hear Aaron Rodgers go and he, and he talks time and time again in his locker about, you know, this guy does all the right things. He, he's a guy that is accountable. He's someone that people should look up to. And you're seeing why. This is why Jay Kumro was not a one-hit wonder. This is why he didn't just have a couple good practices last summer and then fade into oblivion. This guy made himself a part of the conversation. He made the roster. He made plays late last season. And once again, despite a wide-open field at receiver, he's again putting himself in a position to not only make this team but find a role in the offense. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go with a guy who's also at that same position, but I want to start by mentioning a couple of other guys because, and this is the thing, the guy I'm going to talk about in a minute is someone who I've seen put together a string of practices, you might say. There are some guys who have really caught my eye in the first few days. One of them, Jamon Moore, thought he had a really, really good practice on Saturday. Deshaun Kaiser, I thought he might have had his best day in a Green Bay Packers uniform on Saturday. I thought Jason Spriggs, he filled in on a day when Brian Balaga took a veteran rest day. He filled in as the number one right tackle. Thought he played pretty well, performed pretty well that day, but then he comes back the next day and has a minor injury to his trapezius and doesn't have that opportunity to, to build on another practice. So there are guys who have definitely flashed and guys that I certainly am excited to see perhaps if they can build on those. But the guy I'm going to talk about who's at receiver, just like your guy Kumaro, and that's Trevor Davis. And the reason I bring him up, we talked about him through OTAs. He definitely was showing up on the field in OTAs, and he was kind of the forgotten guy with his season last year really being lost due to injury. The three draft picks came in at the position, and those were the guys we were talking about all the time. 
Trevor Davis on Sunday, Wes, I quite frankly, for the bulk of the practice, whether you're talking the one-on-ones with the receivers and the DBs or in the team periods 11-on-11, no matter which quarterback was taking the snaps, I thought Trevor Davis might have been the best player on the field that particular day. He was... He made a catch on the sideline, you know, toe-tapping his feet, a really tough play in the one-on-ones. He was just flat-out getting open in 11-on-11 consistently. Would have had one of the biggest plays of camp, except the ball was overthrown, unfortunately. He's a guy that you're just seeing it from the spring. He's starting to build on everything. There's, There's a progression going on. He's healthy, which, of course, he's thankful for. And we know what he can do in the return game, and we'll see when the preseason games roll around exactly where he stands in that aspect. But with regards to Matt LaFleur's offense, we've seen these jet sweeps, whether you're handing it off to the wide receiver or just doing the jet sweep action to set up something else. Trevor Davis has lined up in the slot. He's lined up out wide. If he can keep this up, there's a place for him and his speed and his skill set in this offense. Now, Again, I preface that by saying it's really, really super early here and there's a long way to go. But he's, in my opinion, he's making a pretty strong first impression. And one thing that you can definitely say unequivocally without putting out the caveat that it's early in camp is 90-man roster for the Green Bay Packers. You could make a very good argument, pound for pound, Trevor Davis is one of the best athletes, one of the most physically talented guys on this entire roster. When you look at his vertical, when you look at his 40, he does things that not a lot of human beings on this earth can do. The key for him has been trying to show that he's more than just a returner. He's more than just what he showed on kickoffs and punts in 2017. He wants to be a part of this offense, and I just think he's done a really good job to this point of the summer of reinserting his name in that conversation. Because all summer long, at least all spring, we were so geared towards saying Geronimo Allison, the three young receivers, Jake Kumro. A lot of times Trevor Davis was that forgotten name in that equation. I think he's putting himself back on the tip of people's tongues, and I think he's played really well to this point. I also just want to mention one thing about Kaiser, because you pointed out, as you mentioned, and you're correct in this, he's had some of his best practices he's had in a Packers uniform. I think Friday, and as you mentioned, Saturday for sure. This is a guy, he's going to say all the right things. He's going to say that the time in Cleveland and the snaps he took are things that are going to make him a better quarterback in the long run. I still debate that just based on how that season went for the Browns. And I think when you look at the history of quarterbacks that have been thrown into bad situations right away, it's not easy to bounce back from. I think what Kaiser's done a good job of is taking those experiences, taking what happened in his intermediate spurts last year, putting that in his rear view and focusing on the future, focusing on the fact that he is a 23-year-old quarterback, the fact that in a lot of years this would be where he would maybe start coming out to be a guy that would finally start seeing regular season reps. He's had an uphill climb to the NFL just because of the situation he was placed in. Mm -hmm. But now he's been able to work with Aaron Rodgers and listen to him speak at his locker on Sunday – the unwavering confidence that he has right now, that is a skill, that's a talent, and that's something that I think if he can make this thing go, if he can make a career out of this, is going to serve him in the long run. Yeah, that's he, that's the byproduct of it. Yeah, he's another guy who needs who needs to build and continue to show the progress. And then 
when you get to that preseason game, you take it to another level. You, t you take what you've done on the practice field and show it in another way, in an even more efficient, more explosive type of way. And I think he's going to have that opportunity. And he's always had a big arm. The, the one thing that's been nice to see is some of those long throws this summer uh, he's been able to make. Now, he's still there's still some accuracy the issues yep. there. He needs to obviously keep working on that. But he's put some balls on a dime this year. Uh, 50, 60 yards out, and that's what you want to see from a quarterback with his type of arm strength. Yeah. All right, switching gears to the defensive side of the ball, who's caught your eye? <laughs> Sean Gary. <laughs> I mean, it's the easiest question. Right. When you asked me uh, on offense who was the guy who caught my eye, I almost said Rashawn Gary. I mean, that's how quickly <laughs> I wanted to get that guy's name out of my mouth. I mean, this guy, and, and trust me, as you said, it's four practices in. No disrespect to Dayton Jones. He looked really good his first few practices in Green Bay. But the thing that is different about Gary is that he looked good in the offseason program when he was coming off the edge, very little contact. You saw the explosive first step. But, man, oh, man, what he's doing in some of these one-on-one -on -one drills. He's at a three-technique position. I mean, this kid has a lot of power. Yeah. Six foot five, 277 pounds. I asked him about this over the weekend. The fact that he was able to cut his body fat from 14, 13% down to 10, uh, basically since he got drafted from Green Bay. And that was after he's putting everything that he has into it going into the draft and making himself as marketable as possible to potential, you know, teams. Sure. This guy, right now, the position that he's in, I'm not guaranteeing he's going to have 10 sacks. I'm not guaranteeing, you know, anything with him. I don't want to put that out there. But in terms of draft picks, first-round picks that I've covered here in six, seven, eight years now, he's had as impressive a start when you factor in his off-season program as anybody that I've seen come through Green Bay. Yeah, he. you go to practice, you stand there on the sideline, and you can't help but notice the guy. I mean, and, and that's, that's not just because of his size, but it's because – if you're watching, you see something happen, and you're like, "Oh, who is that? Oh, yeah, it's number 52." I mean, he just he stands out on a regular basis out there on the practice field. I think he's off to a tremendous start. There's no question about Very it. Very violent hands, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's incredible with the amount of quickness he has, the amount of power he generates. Kid has all the tools, man. Yeah, it's he's a powerful. Be fun to he's a powerful, powerful young man. There's no doubt about it. The guy I'm going to mention on the defensive side of the ball is a guy that we didn't see throughout the spring and the fact that he has been out there from day one in training camp and I think getting his feet back under him and doing what he should, I think you already know who I'm going to say and it's Kevin King, number yeah. 20. He's been with the ones, he's been with the first string as the starting cornerback. He and Jair Alexander, we talked about them as the pair that really need to stay healthy and be on the field, I think, for this Mike Pettin defense in year two to be at its best. I, you know, I'm not saying there are specific plays that have jumped off the page at me that Kevin King has made, but he's walked out there and performed thus far in training camp as though he didn't miss a bunch of time and as though he hasn't had these injury issues that have forced him to miss, unfortunately, a lot of games in his first two seasons in the NFL. I just want to point it out. I think he's off to a good start. I'm sure it, I'm sure Mike Pettin is happy about that. And if the Packers can keep this guy healthy, along with Jair Alexander, those two guys at cornerback, you really, really like that young tandem. Yeah, and one thing, the Packers yearbook is now on stands now <laughs> out there in the public. Get out to your local bookstore and pick that up or buy it on Packers, uh, ProShop.com. Yeah. But there's a story that you wrote on him and Alexander, and I think it's a very salient thing to point out is that uh, to me, that story told it all in terms of 
what these two guys want to do to push each other. And if everything, if all the stars align, just how special that tandem could be for yeah. this team. That being said, I, the Packers had a very big plan for King this offseason. They wanted to take it easy with him. They didn't want to have any more setbacks with the soft tissue injuries. They got him to training camp healthy, and the fact that he's been able to reinsert himself into those team periods I think has been really important. I'll be curious to see how they handle him with preseason and things of that nature because right, exactly. he still is a very young guy. Mm-hmm. I think he's still only 23 or 24 years old. So those are obviously reps that would benefit him, but at the same time you want to be cognizant of it to get to the regular season because they are very, they are still very young at that position despite Tremont Williams being in the conversation as well. But just as far as King is concerned, he's put behind some of those injury things. He does look kind of bigger to me a little bit, especially in the arms. Uh, I just think that he's a guy that we talk so much about Jair Alexander and for obvious reasons, the kid's extremely talented. But Kevin King has had real nice bright spots as well. So if they can get both of those guys going, get the two number one cornerbacks, as I think they, <laughs> they're going to start calling themselves. Right. Um, that's something the Packers haven't had in years. They just haven't had two stable guys at those outside positions that you can move around a little bit if you need to. Man, probably since going back to Sam Shields and when Tremont Williams was in his prime. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I would agree with that. Packers will have three practices this upcoming week at Ray Nitschke Field, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all at 10-15, then family night on Friday night inside Lambeau Field. As we go into, uh, I guess you call it week two of training camp or however you want to phrase it, what are you going to have your eye on? What are you going to be watching for? Anything specific? I want to see how the guys continue to battle uh, with the pads on. I mean, because we've only they, – they went half pads. I know Matt LaFleur still feels like that was a fully padded section, session, but this is the big time of the year where you, you start getting those back-to-back pads. This is the only time of the year that stuff happens because once you get in the regular season, you only get pads once a week. So – uh, seeing how guys respond to that, how they react to that, how they get their bodies back in shape. It was funny. I'm going to write about this later this week, but I was talking with Cole Madison okay. about just how weird it was putting on pads for the first time since the Senior Bowl yeah. uh, in 2018. And you know, he said it just it takes a minute to just get those on and kind of get that first pop and feel that feeling again. Yeah. Um, but it's an exciting time for them. And also the other thing that I'm very intrigued to watch uh, as this thing develops is, you know, if they can get Darnell Savage back on the field, he's been out for four days with the Wisdom Tooth, um, you know, deal. Uh, Raven Green's been getting some really valuable reps there in his place, but the Packers, the, the tandem is Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage. They were building up some chemistry throughout the offseason program. If Savage can get out there sooner than later, I think it'd be cool to see how that develops even more. Yeah, that was the guy I was going to mention is Savage because uh, take nothing away from Raven Green. He has stepped in as the other safety with Adrian Amos with the number one defense while Savage has been out. But I think everybody's interested to see what Savage is going to do and you'd like to see him get a handful of practices under his belt before that first preseason game when you're really trying to get some things to come together. So we'll definitely be watching for number 26. The other thing I think we need to mention here, and I'm going to need your help on one of the names, but uh, the Packers have added two running backs they to did. the roster here in the last week, and which really makes the uh, the running back competition in terms of the pecking order and maybe how many guys are going to be kept on the final roster. You had Corey Grant, who uh, has been signed. He's a four, is it fourth-year veteran? Fourth year, yeah, um, already. 2015 and, uh, undrafted free agent. Yeah, um, had played uh, 
for Jacksonville. Um, had a really nasty foot injury last year that unfortunately cut his season short, but he is back healthy and on the roster. And then the Packers also claimed a running back off waivers from Cincinnati. And I need Darren Hall. Hall, that's right. And so you've got obviously Aaron Jones is your number one. Jamal Williams, he's missed a couple of practices now with a minor hamstring injury. Dexter Williams, the rookie sixth round pick out of Notre Dame. And now these two new additions at running back. This is going to get interesting here, Wes. You know what I absolutely love, 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 love about how they've approached this backfield? They also have Trey Carson, who's been in the NFL before, too. He doesn't have an NFL carry, but has spent parts of three seasons in the league. There was years, Mike, where you knew that it was going to be Eddie Lacy, James Starks, maybe a draft pick after that, and then they'd have some undrafted rookies that would just sort of eat up some snaps during the preseason. They'd shake their hand, part ways with them at the end of it. Maybe they'd come back on the practice squad. Right. They could have very easily done that this year with Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, then Dexter Williams as the sixth-round pick. In previous years, I think Dexter Williams would be just – you just put him on the roster and let him develop. But they're bringing in guys that have different skill sets and that can push for playing time. Corey Grant had a 4.24 time in the 40 at his Auburn Pro Day. Now, that wasn't the combine, but it still gives you an idea of how fast this guy is. If you look at the plays he made in Jacksonville – Two fake punts, one of which went for a touchdown, both over 50 yards. Average 8.3 yards per carry that one year with the Jaguars. Yeah, You can see why Nathaniel Hackett and his history wanted him to come to Green Bay. And then when you look at Hall, this is a guy that averaged 7.95 yards per carry, I believe, in his last year at Pittsburgh. Broke Tony Dorsett's single school record. Those are two guys that have big home run power uh, out of the backfield in addition to Carson. So... I have to imagine that Aaron Jones is going to have a light workload in the preseason. Jamal Williams is dealing with the hamstring. But those guys will get a lot of work now in these next couple weeks, and it's going to be really interesting to see which one could prevail with Dexter Williams in that battle for the number three spot. Yeah, and when you look at just how many running backs are going to be kept on the roster, we've seen Danny Vitale at fullback getting a lot of action here, and we've talked about how it looks like there is a role for a fullback. If Vitale can prove to be that guy as well as a help on special teams, then that's another running back at that position you're going to keep a guy so then how many of those other guys the more halfback types do you keep and as you mentioned different skill sets different physical attributes with these guys so there's there's going to be a mix of things a mix of of showings throughout the preseason as these different guys take their turns in the backfield I think it's going to be fun to watch and I've been trying to tell people I've been trying to say this since May the fullback position in Green Bay I'm not saying it's here to stay I'm not going to make any guarantees with the roster yeah but Danny Vitale is playing as many snaps right now in team periods as I've seen from any fullback going back to John. Yeah. I mean, he is just – it has been an emphasis. I agree. There is so much I-form stuff. There's so much 21 personnel. This guy has made the most of those chances too. So, yeah, it's going to be really intriguing to watch how that whole thing develops. All right. Well, with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and of training camp on Packers.com. On Twitter, you can follow him at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Like us, subscribe to us on iTunes and other podcast services. If you like podcasts, we're there for you as well. With that, we will see you next time.